Isaiah chapter number 53. And again, I just want to welcome you. My name is Jason Bentley. I serve as the lead pastor here. And we are so thankful that you're with us on this Easter Sunday. Due to the weather conditions, due to how wet it got and how cold it is, we had to call a bit of an audible. And so at the conclusion of our gathering, there is not going to be an egg hunt and fun for kids happening outside. That is all happening right at this very moment. We are providing them with an indoor egg hunt, lots of fun. And so by the time we wrap up our time together here, your kids are going to have such a great time. They probably are going to beg you to stay around for our second service at 11 o'clock. But Isaiah chapter number 53 And verse number three says this, he was hated and rejected by people. Now, mind you, Isaiah writes this literally hundreds of years before the real Easter story unfolds. It was under the guidance and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that he puts pen to parchment and captures this powerful prophecy. He was hated and he was rejected by people. Of course, we know now as we look back that he is speaking of Jesus. He was hated and rejected by people. He had much pain and suffering. People would not even look at him. He was hated and we didn't even notice him. But he took our suffering on him And he felt our pain for us. We saw his suffering and we thought that God was punishing him. But he was actually wounded for the wrong that we did. He was crushed for the evil that we did. And the punishment which made us well was given to him. And this is what I really want you to focus on. And we are healed because of his wounds. In fact, would you, would you read that? Would you mind today? I don't want to put anyone on the spot, but just for the sake of you retaining this, would you, would you read that? Would you say that with me? And we are healed because of his wounds. We all have wandered away like sheep. Each of us has gone his own way, but the Lord has put on him the punishment for all the evil that we have done. He was beaten down and punished, but he didn't say a word. He was like a lamb that was being led to be killed. He was quiet, and as a sheep is quiet while its wool is being cut, he never opened his mouth. After his soul suffers many things. He will see life and he will be satisfied. My good servant will make many people right with God. He will carry away their sins. For this reason, I will make him a great man among people. He willingly gave his life, but he was treated like a criminal. But he carried away the sins of many people And he asked forgiveness for those who sinned. And from this, for the next couple of moments, I want to talk to you today, remind you today 
of the wounded lamb for wounded people. All of us in this room right now, we are very much aware of the here and now. I mean, after all, that's been the the subject of our attention and focus all of our life. It started when we were young, when we were in school. Our teachers, our parents, they commanded us, pay attention. Hey, look up here, pay attention. We're right here. Come on, let's draw our attention in. We are aware of the here and now. And as a result, we live for the here and now because we live in, we work in, we go to school in a world that says, in a variety of ways this gets communicated to us, our world tells us that the only thing that is important is the here and now. But the Bible teaches us something different. The Bible teaches us that you and that me and that all of us, that we're going to live somewhere in eternity. And we're going to live somewhere in eternity longer than we will ever live here on this earth. And the Bible also teaches us that we need to Although the pull of the here and now is very strong, that we need to prepare and plan, and we need to make sure that we end up in the right place for all of eternity, and that we need to make sure that we make our life matter in the here and now. But all of this whether we end up in the right place in eternity and whether or not we make our life matter in the here and now, all of this hinges on your understanding and your application of two big ideas. And that is, first and foremost, how do I gain forgiveness? How do I gain forgiveness for eternity? Because I think we all recognize at a very basic level that we've done some things that we're not proud of, that we've messed up, that we've made mistakes. We've hurt others. We've hurt ourselves. So how do I write that? How, how can I make good on that? How do I gain forgiveness for eternity? And then secondly, how do I receive healing for the here and now. And on this day, on Easter Sunday, really this entire week for some of us, certainly the weekend for the rest of us, every year we come face to face with a reality that is inescapable and that is unavoidable. And it's the first point that I want to leave with you here today, and that is in our quest for forgiveness and healing we must keep in mind that there is no forgiveness and there is no healing without the shedding of blood. Good works doesn't do it. Living morally doesn't do it. Voting a certain way doesn't do it. 
doing religious stuff, believe it or not, doesn't do it. Ignoring it, trying to ignore the fact that we've got unforgiven stuff in our life or that we need healed in certain areas in our life, ignoring that doesn't do it. Social justice and benevolent acts, it doesn't do it. Self-improvement, which I think is a good thing, but self-improvement and just that everyday commitment, just trying to be a good person, that doesn't do it. And that's why Easter is the most important holiday in the calendar year, and that is why we are here today. It's what we read in Isaiah chapter number 53, that there is no forgiveness and there is no healing without the shedding of blood. Now, recently, I had the opportunity to go to the, the Smithsonian Museum of Natural History. And as I went through, I was reminded, of course, as we watch documentaries, even our favorite series and movies, we, we see that throughout time and history, there have been a host of different sacrifices made for those very things. That people for thousands of years have engaged in sacrifices in pursuit of healing and forgiveness. All across the religious spectrum, we see sacrifices being made as people attempt to obtain healing and forgiveness. But we now know, as we look back on it, that all of these sacrifices, they had to continue. They had to be done over and over again because the power of that sacrifice was limited. For whatever reason, it was limited and it was necessary that they do it again and again and again. And people continued grasping for and seeking healing and forgiveness. And the reason for this, and Isaiah reminds us of this in his passage, the bottom line in our world, in this room right now, there are wounded sheep and there are wounded shepherds. All of us in this room have been hurt in some way in our lives. We, we've been hurt by a family member. We were bullied as a child. We were the victim of circumstances. I think we all know the sting of betrayal. We know what it is to wrestle with unmet expectations. We've been touched by financial vulnerability. We've gone through divorces and we filed for bankruptcies and we've lost people that we love and we were taken advantage of by others and we discovered that we had more enemies than we ever imagined as words of people talking behind our backs surfaced. We are wounded sheep. And do you also know that there are wounded shepherds among us? There are people who are caregivers, people 
who are leaders, teachers, doctors, pastors, people who are, who are here and, and who are among us who do their best to help those that are wounded, yet they themselves are wounded. They're absorbing the pain and the suffering of others, all the while trying to hold it together because of things happening in their own lives. We can never look at someone on the surface and think, surely they're fine, everything must be well in their life because we're all wounded. We're wounded sheep and we're wounded shepherds. And because wounded people wound people, we are guilty, as painful as it is to be wounded, we oftentimes, willingly and at other times unintentionally, we wound the people around us. So there is in our world, in our society, there is this vicious circle of being wounded and wounding others. We're wounded. I know that you do your best to deal with it and to cover it up and you put on your game face and you, you try to put a smile on and you want everyone to think that, that because of the education and the amount of money in the bank and the house that you live in and all of the toys that you have and all of the stuff that we use to hide behind, we want everyone to think that we're the exception, that we're going through life just fine, but all of us here today are wounded. And I want to let somebody know here today that it is okay that you feel wounded. It's okay that you've maybe limped into this gathering not feeling completely yourself. But the question remains, yes, we are wounded but how do I gain forgiveness? How do I receive healing? And this is what Easter is all about. Jesus. Jesus is the lamb that was wounded so we could be healed and forgiven. Isaiah makes it very clear that he was wounded for our wounds that he took on sin to be able to address our sin. Jesus is the lamb that was wounded so that we could be healed and forgiven. And when you look back to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, when Adam and Eve mess up and they disobey God and their sin separates them from God, they try to cover it up with, with leaves, they tried to stitch some kind of clothing so that it would hide their shame and nakedness, and God comes to them and says, that's not sufficient. What you are doing in your own power, what you are trying to do to rectify the wounds and the sins that you carry is not enough. And so God himself actually makes a sacrifice, and from the skin of that animal gives both of them something to wear. In Genesis, it was one lamb that was necessary for each person. Well, then when God's people, the Hebrew people, when they're in slavery in Egypt for 430 years, God says, enough is enough, I'm going to bring you out. And so he uses a man by the name of Moses, and Moses informs the people that a death angel is coming 
all throughout that area. And the only way that they could escape the consequences of death, the only way that they could preserve life in their home so that they could have a future with hope was to sacrifice a lamb and then put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of their house. And the death angel, as it passed through, it was not going to be looking at the pedigree of the people in the house. It was not going to be looking at the size of the house. It was not even going to be looking at the past errors and mistakes of the people that were in the house. The only instruction was, if there is blood on the house, then you're going to avoid death. And so we see that in Egypt, it was just one lamb for each family. As they escape Egypt and as they begin to solidify as a people, they formed a house of worship. The first one was the David. And each year, the people, they would bring a lamb to be sacrificed. Because remember, for there to be healing and for there to be forgiveness, there's got to be the shedding of blood. And so the people would bring a lamb to the priest. And there was one big day each and every year. It was called the Day of Atonement. And on that day, a lamb was sacrificed, and it was one lamb for the entire nation. But here today on Easter Sunday, the reason that we're so excited and this is such a big deal is because in Jesus, because of Jesus, it is one lamb. Isaiah called him a lamb. It was one lamb for the entire world. And that is because the power of Jesus' sacrifice was not temporary. It wasn't like all the other sacrifices that just lasted for a brief moment. It was not temporary. Hebrews 10 puts it like this. God ends the first system of sacrifices so he can set up the new system. And because of this, we are made holy through the sacrifice Jesus Christ made in his body once and for all time. Every day the priests stand and they do their religious service, often offering the same sacrifices, but those sacrifices can never ever take away sins. But after Christ, after Jesus offered one sacrifice for sins, he went. And he sat down. He could sit down and on the cross he could say it is finished because the power of what was sacrificed, the power of who was sacrificed was not limited. The greatest prophet who ever lived, Jesus said as much. John the Baptist, when he looked at Jesus, he said, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so today on Easter Sunday, I've come just to tell us, to remind us that Jesus is enough. That what Jesus did is enough. Who Jesus is, is enough because he is the wounded lamb for wounded people. Direct your attention to the screen. Be good for people to live in peace, act with love and justice, but... There's a problem. Something compels us humans to constantly wreak havoc and destruction instead. And we call this evil. And from the Bible's point of view, evil ruins things in at least two ways. 
there's a direct effect of our evil. Like when someone steals from another person, they've created injustice. Yeah, hey. therefore, you know, they owe something to make it right. But there's another indirect effect of evil because they've also ruined the environment of the relationship, creating a lack of trust. There's emotional damage. It's like vandalism, and they need to make that right too. Now, many people believe, hey, God is good. He should be the one to just get rid of all the evil in the world. But let's be honest. I mean, the evil that I see everywhere out there, it's the same evil that's inside of me. We have all contributed, and, and we keep doing it. And so this kind of puts us in a bind. If God's going to rid the world of evil, he'll have to get rid of us. And this is what's so remarkable about the story of the Bible. This God is so good that not only is he going to rid the world of evil, he's going to do it without destroying humanity. So how is he going to do that? Well, early in the story of the Bible, we're introduced to this practice of animal sacrifice, which I know, it seems weird to us, but for the Israelites, it was a very powerful symbol of God's justice and of his grace. So remember, I'm a contributor to the evil that's in the world. I should be removed. But God is allowing this animal's life to be a substitute. It's symbolically dying in my place. And the biblical word for this is atonement, which means to cover over someone's debt. But there's a second part to this ritual. Remember, evil also causes this relational vandalism. And in the Bible, this idea is described as polluting or defiling the land and making it unclean. So the priest would symbolically wash away the vandalism by sprinkling the animal's blood in different parts of the temple. So the animal's blood is cleaning things? Well, remember, this is a symbol, and it's a symbol that we're not used to. The blood represents life. And the sprinkling of the blood is this representation of how God is cleaning away these indirect consequences of evil in their community. In the Bible, this process is called purification. And so the temple and the land now become a clean space where God and his people can live together in peace. So this ritual makes things right between Israel and God. And more than that, the Israelites experience God's love and his grace through these symbols. And by being forgiven, ideally, this would compel them to become people of love and grace too. Right, that's the ideal, but it wasn't always happening. Right. So the prophet Isaiah, for example, he talks a lot about this. He opens his book by saying that the continual sacrifices of the Israelites had become meaningless because they were also allowing great evil in their midst, ignoring the poor and the oppressed. Even the Israelite kings were distorting justice. But Isaiah looked forward to a day when a new king from the line of David would come and deal with evil, but in a surprising way. The king would become a servant and not just serve, but also suffer and die for the evil committed by his own people. And his life would be offered as a sacrifice. This is the promise Jesus believed he was fulfilling. He's the king of Israel suffering and dying on the cross. In fact, Jesus himself used Isaiah's words when he said that he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And that word ransom refers to his sacrifice of atonement. And so all over the New Testament, we hear about how Jesus' death was an atoning sacrifice for us. It covered the debt that humans owe God for contributing to all of the evil and death in his world. But the New Testament authors also talk about Jesus' death as providing purification. And so we hear about Jesus' blood as a symbol of his life, having this ability to wash away the vandalism that evil has caused in us and around us, so we can now live at peace with God. So that's the meaning behind Jesus' death. But 
there's more to the story. Yeah, the New Testament makes this powerful claim that Jesus' death was not final. He rose from the dead. And so he's the sacrifice who broke the power of death and evil, which means that he lives on to offer his life to anyone who will accept it. He is the perfect sacrifice to which all the previous sacrifices were pointing all along. So because of Jesus, the early Christians stopped participating in the ritual of animal sacrifice. But they were given new rituals. There are two that Jesus taught his followers to perform. The first is called baptism. Just as Jesus died, so going into the water becomes this personal connection you now have to his death. And in coming out of the water, you, so to speak, come back to life with Jesus. So baptism is the sacred ritual that joins your story to Jesus' death and his resurrection. The second ritual is called the Lord's Supper, which is a reenactment of Jesus' last meal with his disciples. And he used bread and wine to portray his coming death as a sacrifice. And so now, followers of Jesus, they take the bread and the cup regularly to remember and to participate in the power of Jesus' death and in his life. So these rituals, they remind us of God's love and encourage us to live a life of love and grace. But they do more than that. They connect us to a new life source. The very power that brought Jesus back from the dead is the same power that can deal with the evil in our own lives and transform us into people who lead lives of love and peace. Which leads me to my last point here today, because I can imagine that some of you may be sitting there and you're thinking, but you don't know my story. You don't know what I've suffered, nor do you know the things that I have done. You're talking about some really good news, but I think it applies to somebody else, not somebody with my record, not somebody with my past. The last thing that I want to leave with you here today is this. His healing is more powerful than your hurt. And his forgiveness is more powerful than your sin. And I could use these few remaining moments that we have together to try to convince you of this. But I'm not going to do that. Instead, I wanted to share with you a written testimony of someone that attends this church that they emailed to me a few months ago. Memorial Day weekend, 2021. I had just come back into my apartment from a day of sunbathing by the pool and I was standing at my kitchen island talking to my roommate when my phone rang. Calling was a boy I had been on a couple of dates with over the last few weeks and he asked me to come to his apartment to hang out. We would watch a movie together and I told him I'd come over and made it clear that all we would do together would be to watch the movie but I think you probably know what happened that night. I left his apartment with bruises on my face and neck, and worse than that, a replay of his words. I would win if you ever thought about trying to take this to court. I remember throwing up on the pavement beside my car before I drove home. The next few months were a haze of alcohol abuse and 
fighting for the attention of men who didn't care about me at all. I had completely lost myself. Nothing in my life had any meaning, and every part of me was sure that I wasn't meant to be alive. It felt like too many horrible things had happened to me from my life to really matter to anyone. You see, in 2015, I experienced a similar assault. Being raised in a southern Christian home and being homeschooled, I had been completely indoctrinated to believe that my virginity was the most important thing I had. And even at 18 years old, I firmly believed in abstinence until marriage. But that choice was taken from me on the side of a mountain back road by a man I had known and trusted. So I turned away. Years of my life were spent in complete anger with God. I called myself an atheist, but I truly never stopped believing, not really. I denounced my faith at any opportunity, but I don't think it's possible to hate something that you don't believe in. And I hated God for what happened to me. August the 28th. 2021, I was laying on the cold vinyl of my apartment floor and breeze blew down on me from the living room ceiling fan in my near empty brand new apartment. Mooresville was lonely. In all honesty, the city itself was fine. I just happened to feel incredibly lonely living in it. I had been living in this apartment for exactly one week. Even with my exciting new job, the opportunity to live on my own, an adorable dog, and plenty of other reasons to feel joy, I was empty. I felt incredibly isolated and alone, and the idea of not being alive was growing more and more appealing. The deep indigo of night painted the sky, a symphony of my neighbor's laughter sang a quiet lullaby outside my window, and all I could think about was dying. Feeling very overwhelmed, I cried out in what I now know was a prayer for relief. I don't want to feel this way anymore. And immediately, the image of a church sign was placed in my mind. I had drove past Waterview Church every day on my way to this new job, and I hadn't ever noticed it aside from thinking that it was odd that they met in Lake Norman Dance Gallery. But it was clear to me that the next morning, I would be waking up and I would be going to this church. I wrote in my journal that night about the conflicting feelings I was experiencing. I had decided long ago that Christians were hateful and bigoted people. I'd let church trauma inflicted by people and sexual and emotional trauma inflicted by people keep me far away from faith in God. And the next morning, I spent entirely too long trying to decide what I would wear. I had more anxiety about what my hair looked like for the morning at Waterview than I had ever had for a first date. I skipped my morning coffee, hands already trembling from nerves. Should I wear a sweater to cover my tattoos? What if no one talks to me? Worse, what if someone does talk to me? And during the service, the seats around us began to fill and the worship team started their first song. I didn't know it, but as the music hummed and the people around me flooded the room with praise, tears began to fill my eyes. And then the tears escaped and they fell down my cheeks and my chest tightened. It felt as though Jesus was standing beside me, holding out his hand and saying, come on, girl. 
It's time to come home. I know you feel so broken that you'll never be whole again, but I'm here to heal what is hurting. I'm here to give you peace. And I never told anyone about what happened in that moment of inviting the Lord in. I didn't say anything about the rush of warmth that flooded me, tingling from head to toe. I didn't talk about the pure silence that overcame my mind. I didn't want to seem crazy. And following that night, I began to dive into faith. I joined a small group at Waterview. I bought a Bible. I began writing down my prayers every day. And I still have a lot to learn and a lot of unanswered questions, but I know concretely that my faith is in the almighty, miracle-working, deeply loving God. July 24th, 2022. It's been 321 days since I've stepped back into my faith. In the last 10 months, I've mourned family members. I've lost friends. I dated and broke up with an abuser. I've battled with my mental health. I was laid off from my job. I've experienced God's love, grace, and consistency through every moment. I've seen countless prayers answered, some with yes, some with no, some with not right now. I've seen his faithfulness even through my chronic inconsistency. I've seen his blessings even through my neglect. I've seen his peace overcome my anxiety. I've seen his goodness triumph over all else in my life. I've seen God begin to make me whole again, healing parts of me that I was sure would be broken forever. I've been challenged by God to look back on the last year and reflect on what he has delivered me from and what he has provided. And even when I denied him, he has never failed me. He waited patiently for me. And when I was finally ready to come back, he provided everything that I needed. Friends, I wanted today on this Easter Sunday... I wanted to tell you about Jesus, the wounded lamb for wounded people. Here's the thing. We all have a story. And I know this. Bitterness is going to grow in your heart. And anger is going to continue to swell. And hurt is going to remain if you focus all of your attention on the pain that you have received from others. Or if you focus all of your attention on the pain that you have caused others. But today, since Jesus was wounded for us, I want to tell you, based on what Isaiah told us, I want you to turn your attention towards him. And I want you to put your eyes on him because your wounds may hurt, but his wounds heal. And his wounds, they will heal you. His wounds, they will offer you pardon and forgiveness. And your life can change. It can be transformed. And you can make your life matter in the right here and now. And you can be ready for where you'll be in eternity. Will you stand with me here today? I want to pray for us as... We get ready to close out our gathering. In a moment, we're going to go back into one final song and then we'll be dismissing. But I just want to, I want to pray for some wounded people today. 
wounded by what others have done, wounded perhaps by poor choices that you've made. And here's the thing about this moment. I, we, we're not going to do anything to embarrass you. We're not going to ask you to step out into the aisle. We're not going to ask you to come down to the front. Nobody's going to come up and grab you. This moment is a holy moment. It's between you and God. In fact, I'd like to invite you to just close your eyes with me. Everybody close your eyes. Because I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to experience what this girl experienced here not too long ago. Your story's different, but your wounds are the same. Your past is different, but your sin is the same. But today in Jesus, our risen Savior, he's the wounded lamb for wounded people. And today, if you're here and you would like to just, in a moment of faith, in a moment of declaration, in a moment of surrender, say, I want the healing and the forgiveness that is available in Jesus. I I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want what he has for me, whether this is a decision for the first time, for the first time in a long time, would you just raise your hand right where you are because we're going to pray together. Thank you. I already see some hands. Thank you. Other hands. No one's looking around, but I'm just curious here today, who needs the healing and the forgiveness of this beautiful Savior? Is there anyone else that would just slip their hand up and say, I I want what he has for my life. I need what he has for my life. Thank you for those hands. Let's pray this together. Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the one true God. I believe that you are the wounded lamb for wounded people. I believe here today that you can provide me with hope, that you can provide me with healing, and that you can provide me with forgiveness. And so I surrender my heart and life to you totally and completely. And I'm asking you to come in and to replace everything that I used to be, everything that I used to have with what you have for my life. Your way is far better than my way. Wash me, cleanse me, forgive me, make me whole. Jesus, I want to be a part of your family. I want to live with you forever in heaven. Today, I make a fresh start. From this moment on, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to pursue you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying and rising again for me and for my family. I love you. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's sing, church. Father, we just thank you again for your presence that fills this room. The very same presence that brought Jesus back to life and pulled him out of that grave is here in this room it gives us life which means we can charge out of here brand new born again ready to live fully alive flourishing and fulfilled making our lives matter and we just thank you for the hope that is in you Jesus we receive it all in Jesus name we pray and everybody said Amen. Come on, church. Will you clap your hands and help me celebrate again? Jesus. King Jesus. Hey, it's now time for our final act of worship. And 
as we're preparing to give today. Ways that you can do that are coming up on the screen. And we just want to thank you for your generosity because through your generosity, we're able to see hearts touched and lives changed like the one that we heard about a moment ago. And you cannot put a price tag on transformed lives. And so we thank you for that. And as we get ready to send you on your way to have a blessed Easter Sunday, I just want to mention to those of you that are new here today that might be VIPs, might be your first, second, or third time visiting with us, or maybe a moment ago you surrendered your heart to Jesus and you made that fresh start with him. There's a card that's on your seat that says next steps on it. Please take a moment and fill that out. We do not want to harass you. We just want to pray with you, and we want to help make it easy for you to take a next step in faith, a next step in growth, a next step in transformation. And if you'll fill that out, you can drop it off in the box as you exit the auditorium, or you can take it to the tent in the lobby, and there we've got different gifts, a gift for you if you're new, a gift for you if you made a fresh start with Jesus. But we're just thankful that you were here with us today. Now go, have a great Easter, make your life matter. We'll see you next Sunday. It's Baptism Sunday. If you gave your life to Jesus, sign up to be baptized. We're going to be celebrating and starting a new series, The Real Jesus. We love you. Have an amazing week. We'll see you next Sunday at 10.30 a.m. God bless.